Welcome to Divorce Stories with attorney Dennis Vetrano, the show for people that want real answers to real divorce questions from a real divorce lawyer. And now here's your host, attorney Dennis Vetrano. So welcome back, everybody, to Divorce Stories. I'm your host, divorce attorney Dennis Vetrano. We have a tremendous treat today. And listen, as I said with these guests that I've had lately, I have a series of qualifications to go through. So bear with me. I'm super excited to have Lisa Johnson and Chris Barry with us today, the founders of Been There, Got Out, which offers, and bear with me, which offers coaching and workshops for people in toxic relationships. They run a legal abuse uh, support group. Lisa is a certified domestic violence advocate in her seventh year in the court system dealing with a toxic ex, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. I'm not cheering about that. <laughs> right. And she represented herself successfully on both trial and appellate court levels through scores of appearances, had her case published in Connecticut Law Journal this year to be used as legal precedent. Excellent. Her live testimony helped pass Jennifer's Law in Connecticut the third state in America to expand its legal definition of domestic violence to include coercive control. And we're going to talk about that later. Uh, She recently started the world's first legal abuse support group, which provides emotional support, expert guidance and strategies for victims to strengthen their own cases. And Chris, not to leave you out, certified (laughs) high conflict divorce coach and domestic violence survivor. And I think there's a whole lot we can talk about there, Chris. With a uniquely male perspective, his own high-conflict divorce took three years and cost $300,000, where he eventually achieved the favorable outcome, preserving his role as a father to his two sons. And I know as a father, super, super important to be able to do that for sure. So Lisa and Chris, welcome, welcome, welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank Thank you. you so much for having us. We enjoyed our interview of you, and it's glad to play on the back end of the Home and Home series here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so let's get right into it. So been there, got out. Where does that name come from? Yeah, that, that one, that one was mostly me, but we were having a conversation um, about how, when we were trying to think of a brand and a name and all that, and we're like, the, the most important thing is that we've experienced this, right. you know, we both went through it. Right. So we were, we were toying around with like been there, done that, all that. The URL was taken. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I think it's even catchier. I think we were just like brainstorming and throwing out ideas. And I blurted out, been there, got out. And Lisa was like, that's it. Yes. yes. And also the brand, like I, the, the little logo. logo. Yeah. We're where... like, it says BTGO in a square and the O is getting out. It's like, twisted. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah love it. So, Marketing, NBA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's, I think, again, what we're trying to do is get people to engage. Right. And that's how you're going to help people is to get them to engage. So anything catchy. Anything that's, you know, kind of a play on words, it, it really gets people engaged. So that's great. So yeah, we kind of stepped in it, but it served us well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what led to the divorce? You've each been through the divorce process with Toxic X. What led to the divorce for each of you? And what was the process like for each of you? Who wants to go so first? You got to like, you got to make sure you give us a time limit on, on that. What okay. led to the divorce? Uh, yeah. For me, I was in a 20-year relationship, married for nearly 18 Um, I didn't know anything about narcissism or domestic violence. You know, I just thought it was like physical abuse. And even though there was a little bit of that, I didn't think it really counted. Um, We didn't really fight that much, but I basically, to make it a shorter story, um, I discovered he had been living a double life uh, for years. I found out about an online affair, which opened up a whole other history and 
decided the relationship was over, took a couple of years to really plan my exit very, very carefully because I have, you know, we have two children and I, my job and, you know, very rooted in the community. So I really wanted to make sure I did it right. But that's basically what led to it. In, yeah, in, in my case, uh, my ex actually left me. I don't know if I ever would have um, had the strength to, you know, realize what was going on and get out myself. Right. Um, what I talk about a lot with that is the trait of having resilience. You right. know, resilience is a wonderful thing to have, but in, in abundance or in excess, it can lead, you know, like you can have the attitude of, I can endure anything. I right. used to tell my stuff, myself stuff like, you know, this is when they say marriage is hard, this is what they meant, you know? Right. And, and I was suffering. I didn't realize to what extent I was suffering, but she eventually left me. Thank goodness. It's the kindest thing she ever did for me. Right. Uh, but as I said, my divorce took three years and cost $300,000 really for no good reason. You know, it was just the fight. It was a stage that she got to perform on, you know? Yep. And I think, you know, I think the message there is no matter what got you out, you got out. And yep. I think you see all, you know, you see much more clearly once you're out than when you're in it. So, you know, so, so you guys, you guys define these as toxic relationships. Can you describe or explain for our listener, listeners what you mean by a toxic relationship? Sure. So we always say, you know, we're not, you know, psychologists, we're not therapists, we're not like licensed to diagnose anyone. Right. So we toxic as sort of a blanket label for people who exhibit the behaviors of like narcissism or borderline personality disorder and those those things. Um, there tends to be an imbalance in the relationship yep. in terms of power and control. Yep. There can be financial abuse. Like I said, we focus on the behaviors right. rather than, you know, trying to label someone with a, a psychological definition. Yeah. And I think, and Lisa, and any, anything you wanted to add to that? Oh yeah. I mean, there's, you know, also having, or being a state certified domestic violence advocate, I was like, Chris, you got to print out this power and control wheel, which is often. Oh my God. Yeah. It's often used with um, clients and also during our training. And it talks about the different types of power and control in what we always call a toxic relationship. So a lot of times, and we'll get into coercive control specifically, but it's, you know, emotional abuse, economic abuse, which Chris noted as financial abuse, um, coercion, threats, minimizing, denying things, gaslight. I mean, it's a whole bunch right. of different behaviors, but generally um, people don't seem to recognize when they're in an unhealthy relationship, because, uh, except if they're getting hit or physically harmed. And that's, that's a big thing we need to educate people about. And if your listeners want to see this power and control wheel, they can just Google it. Uh, domestic violence, power and control wheel. It's called the Duluth model. Right. Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And, and you know, I have some TikTok videos on that. And, oh, great. Yeah. And I have a link to the, to the power control wheel. And that's one of the things I keep putting up power, the power and control wheel, because the first, the beginning trainings I took on domestic violence, that was the starting point. Yep. And it so opened my eyes as to things that I never knew, you know, comprised domestic violence. And I think there's so much crossover there. So have you, well, Dennis, do you, have you also seen the healthy relationships wheel? Cause I remember seeing that and being like, wait, these exist. <laughs> what is that? Okay. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. No, <laughs> yeah. no, I haven't. And, and I think, and I think, do, do you know where my listeners can access that? Same thing. Okay. Look Excellent. up healthy relationships wheel. Healthy relationships wheel listeners. Definitely check that out. So and all of our listeners, our, our listeners, our clients, Dennis, have this, we, we call it the light bulb moment. Oh, yeah. Right. right. When they realize like, oh, my God, there's a reason for all this chaos and conflict and craziness in my life. It's got yep. a name. I'm not the only one. These aren't yep. unique 
problems. Like, like, oh my God. And it's, it's doesn't make it better, but at least you realize you're not alone. Right. There are things you can do. And it usually happens like Chris at a label. I call it the epiphany where it's like, you know, you know where you were and what you were doing right at that time. I can tell you, like, I think we're going to get to came it. Up. Yeah. Right. And I think here's the thing, because what the abuser is going to say in that sort of circumstances, you're crazy. Oh. This is all yep. in your head. You're just making this up. And it just kind of helps perpetuate, you know, the, the person that's as a victim in the situation helps them perpetuate the idea that, oh, but this is OK. This is just what the relationship's supposed to be like. This is normalcy. And the reality right. is when you look at that wheel, you know that it's not. The techniques they use are very similar to what cults use. Yes. To their members in line and, yes. and indoctrinate them. And this is normal. Right. You know, this crazy. Right. And it's, it's slow and insidious and it's over time. And I'm sure you've heard of the, the term, the frog in the pot, right? Yep. Have you heard of that? Yep. I mean, some people don't like it, but it's so basically if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's like, you know, people say, how come you didn't know? Well, if you throw a, a, a frog into a pot of boiling water, of course it's going to jump out because it knows it's boiling. But for those of us in these abusive relationships, it's like you put a frog in a pot of tepid water and then you slowly turn up the heat. And you don't even realize what's happening until you're burning. Right. And neither of us, for the record, has tried boiling a frog, nor do we want to or recommend that your listeners do. <laughs> right. Right. Of course not. Um, yeah. I mean, insidious is the word that I've used before. Mm -hmm. So so I love that word in, in describing that in describing that. So. So. OK, so we got the wheel from the two of your perspective. How do you know you're in it? And, and this is like the, this is like the million dollar question, because I have so many clients or prospective clients or people out there, listeners who are in it and they don't know that they're in it. How do you know you're in a toxic relationship? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> so that's a tough one. Um, right. We developed a quiz that's on our website that was built off of, of like our own personal experience plus what we learned as we educated ourselves about narcissism and some of the other issues right. um, to make sure that it covered all the behaviors. Right. Um, but I, in my case, my first sign was I, I lost my center. It felt off. Something was wrong. Mm. My aha moment came six months after we separated. I had already met Lisa. I mean, so maybe it was even longer. Maybe it was more like eight and nine months. No, we, yeah, we met it more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a little bit longer. So I was in the, the first almost year into this crazy divorce. Right. And I didn't even know what was going on. Well, one of the traits that a lot of toxic people have is projection. You just talked about projection, right? You're the right. crazy one. They take right. their own traits and they say, you're like that. Right. So I knew she was like that. And she said, I was a narcissist. And I Googled it. And I landed on a Wikipedia article that that was my aha moment. I read the article. My jaw hit the floor. And I, it was like I was saying before, it has a name. Oh, my God. All the big, she checked every single box. Right. Right. So I... I but how do you know? Oh, boy. That's yeah, it's hard. hard. I think a lot of people don't know until it gets unbearable. Something right. is just unbearable. I mean, for me, it was just like lie, the lies and discovering and like more and more. And every every promise that was made kept getting broken. And the big thing was, let's, you know, I wanted to keep the family together. I mean, like I said, we were together for 20 years, had two kids. I, I would do anything to keep the family together. And I think denial is a huge part of people in these situations. So it is really hard. Um, right. People often contact us and say, my friend or my, my daughter or my son is in this really awful relationship. What can I do to like make them see? And I'm like, I don't, it's very hard 
you know, right. to make someone see it, it's, it's like, they just feel like they can't take it anymore. And that's when sometimes they seek help. Right. Well, listen, I, I will tell you this. Um, and I have, and I do have some background in dealing with domestic violence for many years and, and victims of domestic violence and some trainings on, it. and I will tell you some of the pieces in your, if not all of the pieces in your quiz are phenomenal. I mean, and, and if you don't mind, I'll read a few. Do you find do you find yourself walking on eggshells to avoid setting your partner off? Oh, yeah, that was a big one for me. I mean, I would I was constantly terrified that I'd pull I push one of her buttons and it was like this little tiny thing would always turn into she's miserable and I'm the reason why it would right. like to blow up. Right. And I would just constantly try to avoid triggering her. And for me, I didn't have that. I didn't have that at all. So I had a completely different type of toxic relationship. Right. Not everybody's going to say yes or right. you know, positive to whatever question in the quiz. The quiz is long. It's like 33 questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And we find that most people who start it finish it, which is really something. Right. And with the quiz, what's interesting is like when we first developed it, you know, our businessy friends said it's too long you know no one's going to sit through it but we found that people as they would take it felt more and more validated mm -hmm. and they yep. loved this and yep. it provokes a lot of conversation and i think you point out something really important don't think that your toxic relationship is going to fit one singular model with one set of criterion or criteria excuse me if there's going to be a lot of crossover there are going to be some things that you don't see in your situation but still a toxic relationship that somebody else is seeing in theirs. Right. And right. Even what, not, every, not everyone checks every box and also toxic right. personality disorders, they're spectrum disorders. So you can right. have it a little or you can have it a lot. Right. Right. And, right. Scale. and with narcissism, it's like there's the overt that's, you know, really loud and obvious. Then there's the covert. And so I was dealing more with the covert. So the hidden. Right. The hidden right. Stuff. Now, if you don't mind me reading one more, and, and we just talked about this, does your partner project their own traits onto yours? And I think what happens with victims is the abuser will do something and the abuser will tell the victim that they do it. And rather than seeing it for what it is, say, hey, that's not me. That's actually them. They say, oh, it must be my fault. Accept Absolutely. responsibility to hold the family together, to keep the relationship together and not seeing they're grafting their, the things they're doing onto the victim. Yeah. I mean, Dennis, I don't know if this is common with you, but with us, we get a lot of people who are like, I, th I think I might be the toxic one. I think I'm the narcissist. And we're like, N the fact that you're even questioning yourself and concerned probably means it's not you. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, but I don't think it's you. 100%, at least my experience in dealing with narcissists, and I, I can't say it as a specific diagnosis, but that, that personality type, let's say, would never even consider or go through that level of self-evaluation to say, hey, look at me, what am I doing wrong? Maybe it's me. They wouldn't do that. No, because everything works do. for them and everybody else right. is wrong. Right, <laughs> right, absolutely. So, so let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. Uh, what's coercive control? Okay. So, you know, it's coercive control is interesting. And by the way, the UK has had coercive con control as like a household term for years because their laws are part of it. And one of the ways they did it was, and I think this is fascinating, they did some soap operas that like huh. everybody watched that, right. that depicted 
coercively controlling relationships. And so it be, everyone became familiar with it and they did an awesome job. They had experts really help write the script. But coercive control is not a singular incident. It's a, it's a range of behaviors. And according to this site called Women's Aid, which is like the site for the definition, it's a pattern of acts of assaults, threats, humiliation, intimidation, and other various types of abuse used to harm punish or frighten a victim. And the goal really, well, there's a couple of goals. So the goal is to make that person dependent on the other person. And um, they, you know, the abuser will isolate the, the, the victim from support. They will deprive them of their independence. So coercive control is actually considered a liberty crime. And it's also a matter of regulating their everyday behavior. And usually somebody who is committing or you know using coercive control they they want to avoid conflict so they'll basically just dominate in all these insidious ways so financial abuse like we said emotional verbal psychological sexual there's something called revenge porn have you heard of that i have okay a lot I of people a friend of mine was like oh is that when you know afterward they get mad at, and if they're mad at you they go watch porn i said no no <laughs> <laughs> Revenge porn is threatening or actually publishing sexual images of you to make right. you do what they want, like to either right. make you stay with them or to get back at you as part of a smear campaign. So it's a right. huge, oh, and legal abuse, duh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, yep. and, and what's really important is like anybody at all can fall into one of these relationships. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with your education, your professional success. We have, I'm thinking of one of our clients who's a super highly successful corporate attorney. And she's amazing. She's such a, a professional like powerhouse, but she fell into the relationship too. She was locked in her basement with the light bulbs removed and the windows boarded up. And it's, and you know, it's just incredible, you know, how, how much, how damaging these relationships are. Mm -hmm. And they now, happen the most independent, successful, responsible people. And that's why we blame ourselves. Like, how could I have been so stupid? And that's why they target you in the first place. Right. Because I call you like, you're the shining star. They see you, you know, like, wow, you've got this great appearance. Like I, they, an abuser is like, I want to be like that person. And right, then right. they get you and then they start degrading you because they resent right. you. Now, if you've noticed, listeners, you didn't hear barely a peep out of me during that, that entire conversation there. And do you want to know why? Because I think the, the things that they had to say, the definition of coercive control is so, so important. I wanted you to hear every bit of that. So thank you for giving us that definition. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure my listeners do as well. So, so let's say you make that leap, you get there and you say, hey, now I, I'm, I'm really confident I'm in a toxic relationship. For, for the people I've dealt with, clients, listeners, people out there, how in the heck do you get started? To, where, where do you begin to get out of that relationship? Yeah. So do you want to say no, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, again, I didn't know labels. I didn't know what I was dealing with. So I knew what I thought was, I know it's really bad, but I'm scared to tell anybody really that like, I didn't want to tell my family because I thought, you know, again, like if there's any chance of, of, 
making this better. And if I tell them what he's done, like they'll hate him forever and that'll be awful. So I only told a couple of friends. And like I said, I took a couple of years, I took about two years to really plan my exit. And so I just talked to friends. I got some bad advice, Um, you know, a lot of making excuses for his behavior and all, but he really loves you. Um, But I think a good place to start is a domestic violence center probably. Because we were looking all, I mean, I was trying all different things with different therapists and nobody actually got it until the domestic violence center, you know, until I touched someone there. And that was a year and nine months after he was out of the house. And I forgot to mention stalking as a part of coercive control. That's when he was stalking our our family. So they really, really get it. I would say those are the experts. It's free. They can point you to all kinds of resources. Right. Right. And sort of the, I guess the answer to how you get out sort of depends on where you are in the process. If your clothes are on the lawn and your partner has taken the kids and gone to their parents, like, you know, that you're kind of like forced out. But if you have the ability to like, I mean, get support, as Lisa was talking about, educate yourself and learn all about these behaviors, because that's not going to change them, but at least you can anticipate what's going to happen. And if you have the ability, if you're still in the home, still in the relationship, keep your cards close to your vest. Make sure you document everything, copies of all, like we have a whole checklist, there's like 50 things on it, you know, with financial records, because they're not going to comply with discovery. Once the process starts, they're going to be resist and be problematic every step of the way. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I'm also saying to contact a domestic violence center is there's something called safety planning. And that is the most important thing everyone needs to know. It's not just about your physical safety, but it's about like what I said, it's taking the time to make sure you get what you need before you physically get out. And um, we did a whole workshop on that. That's on our sanity school on our site, but we interviewed a police officer who actually started the vet, the special victims unit in the town of Greenwich, which became a statewide model. So he is like, you know, you need to make sure you do things properly. You want to you know, if you do recordings and stuff, you need to have somebody there, like all kinds of stuff that you would never normally think about. Wow. That's a guy I'd like to talk to guy or gal. Oh, I can um, get in touch with him if you want. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about putting together a piece and, and look out for this of like just a basic, um, how to get out of a domestic violence relation or domestic violence marriage survival kit. So mm. the starting points, the nuts and bolts, because a lot of times we think of like the big issues, but we don't think of the nuts and bolts, even right. just having emergency numbers in your phone. Right. Yep. You know, friends and family that, hey, you're on the side of the road. You need somebody to help you. You're an emergency. Just even just the basic numbers. But the starting point is to get educated, I think. And I think I think that's where you guys were starting. I think that's a really good suggestion, at least from my view of the world. Right. And, and I want to mention something that with the safety planning that a lot of people don't think about is their pets. Like, yeah. what do we do with the pets? A safety plan also includes pets. <laughs> That's that. Listen, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I have two German shepherds, two horses, two donkeys, some chickens. So, yeah. Yep. I, we have a hobby farm. So so I'm uh, I'm I'm super connected to my pets. So you, I, I wouldn't would kill me for anybody to do anything mean to my pets. So so you guys are both survivors of domestic or rather toxic relationships. But, Chris, I want to get a little bit more into your specific circumstance, because I'll tell you, as a divorce lawyer, I've seen thousands of domestic violence situations, relationships where it is the man's the abuser, the the uh, the woman is the victim. But what I'm seeing more and more so now is the reverse. Mm. I'm starting to see more and more men coming in 
and giving they don't come in saying I'm in a domestic violence relationship. They come in to con to consult about a divorce case and they're in it and they don't see it. So I think I'd like to hear a little bit more about your unique perspective on look, how do you how, how did you arrive at the conclusion? I'm in this. I mean, I know we went over it a little bit, but but I think the male perspective is very unique here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important that people understand that this is not a gender specific problem. Right. It's not a social status specific problem. It's not economic you know, status problem. Yeah. It, it's global. Um, Lisa and I work with anyone as long as they can speak English um, right. all around the world. You know, <laughs> right. we had somebody in Switzerland right. we talked to yesterday. Mm -hmm. So um, I already talked about how I realized it is when she called me a narcissist and I looked it up. Right. But I think from a male perspective, um, I, I think there's the appearance that it tends to be that the male's the abuser more often. And it might right. be, you know, slightly, it might be 60, 40 or something like that. But men right. are wired to be stoic. You know, there's a social, there's social pressure on us not to admit like, hey, I'm an abuse victim. I mean, you can't, it doesn't show here on, on Zoom, but I'm right. 6'3". I, I weighed 240 pounds when I was in college. I played football. You know, and my ex is like five four, and she's very she's mastered like the doe-eyed innocent look. I go into a courtroom and claim abuse. I, right. Like I'm going to be laughed at. So right. that's that's the male. Now there are biases against women in the system too, but right, from a male perspective, that sort of embarrassment and shame to admit that you were abused by somebody who's like tiny, you know, especially for a big right. guys. You know, it, it would be that pressure's on men overall. It's, and it's the same reason that we don't like to ask for directions when we're driving. It's like right. I can do. It. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a man. I'm strong. Yep. But we yep. gotta, you know, men in these situations, hopefully, just like get help. You know, just admit it. Um, there's no shame in in being the target. We don't like to use the word victim so much. We use the word target. Okay. You know, they arrive in the door, they're victims, but we we try to get that strip that label as quickly as possible. Okay, fair enough. Let let me say this, uh, guys out there, please listen to those words. Don't be ashamed. I think that's a big thing and get help. Because I know that at least the, the males that I've dealt with that have been in that situation, those are the core problems. They're, they're ashamed and they refuse to go out and get help. Just talk to a counselor. Just, just even start there. Just, just find somebody you trust to talk to, even just to get the ideas out there. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. I think the way uh, the current is on social media right now that women are the only ones who tell the truth, which is definitely not true. We have a number of male clients and part of one of their biggest obstacles is saying, I, I feel like nobody believes me. I reached out to some of these people and they assume because I was a man that I was lying that I'm the abuser and it's really harmful. Right. And one of the things, Dennis, that's been a very pleasant surprise for, for me and for us as we started the legal abuse support group and as we started serving coaching clients, um, more of our clients are women than men and more of the people in our legal abuse support group are women than men. Um, but I have never, for all the women we've dealt with um, and helped, I've never felt like they were uncomfortable with the fact that I'm a man. At first I was like, Chris, I, I think you should be off camera when yeah. we started legal abuse support because I'm like, you know, you never know. <laughs> Right. I would, I would right. sit in the background and only come on camera now and then to like make a comment or I'd watch the chat, you know, I was in as more of a support role, but that's totally changed. Right. right. And I think it's also really good. I think women appreciate that there's a man that 
cares this much, you know, that yeah. also can, can provide his perspective. Plus they see that there are men who are sensitive and kind and, right. and trustworthy. Wait, so we're, we're like not all step. bad. There was one bad one that you, you know, lucked into. Yeah. <laughs> right. Bad lucked into. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it also serves to further validate the advice that's being provided and the things that they're seeing on there and in going through it. You know, I mean, to have a man come in in there and say, hey, I validate this, I support this. Um, you know, I think in, in many ways that helps. It's not just, you know, ladies saying, hey, this is happening, but it's knowing that guys, like you said, are sensitive and knowledgeable and have the level of expertise out there to see it for what it is and, and assist in trying to help people get through it. So. I think yeah, I want to mention something, if that's okay, Dennis, but on sure. that. And so we have um, a guy that we met through our Instagram account who we've become good friends with, and he let us interview him. He's six foot seven. Um, he is a professional and he is a survivor of severe physical abuse. Um, and so we, I posted about three clips of him speaking about the trauma that he experienced with being terrified to sleep in his own bed, even a year after she got out, um, how it affected him, how she would do it. You know, she'd get in his face, she'd threaten, she, she, she would say, hit me, hit me. And, and then she threatened to slit his throat. And he just, so those videos, I like, we're still fairly new on TikTok, a little less than a month old, but those videos got so many views and so many people reaching out saying, wow, I've never seen anything like this. Like, I mean, you can't even see that he's six foot seven, but to hear a man speak openly about not just the emotional abuse, but the physical abuse that he endured. And I think there needs to be more men, you know, overcoming the shame and talking about what it's it's like because it helps more people come out of the woodwork i feel like since i posted those videos we've had a lot of men contacting us and saying i saw the video i know i can that you're going to believe me that you know right even though i'm a man so right you want to encourage people to have the courage to step out and put it right. out there and and ask for help and reach out and see it for what it is i've actually uh, so i've been doing this handling contentious divorce cases and family law cases thousands of cases for 20 plus years I've had just recently the first to ever come out and say, and still didn't see it and, and say, I'm physically abused. Mm. That, that's a first. Wow. Think about that. That has to have been, there, there's no way that that didn't exist for the past 20 years. No. Right. Well, I don't know if I would have been able to do it, but I was, um, you know, I was, I'm an only child. I was raised by a single mom. So I have a lot of sort of fem more like what were viewed as feminine traits. Like I'm very introspective and I'm, I'm right. very comfortable talking about my feelings, but if I were raised like uh, differently, I don't, I'd probably be uncomfortable talking about it, you know? Right. Now, now you describe these relationships as toxic relationships. Um, what's the difference between a toxic relationship, a domestic violence relationship, or being in a relationship with a narcissist, or or, or is there a lot of crossover there? That's the same. <laughs> same bucket. <laughs> it's like we said earlier. We just like, use we use the word toxic because we don't want um, people thinking that we're offering a diagnosis. We're not mental health professionals. Right. You know, right. we look at the behaviors. If they do X, Y, and Z, they're toxic. I don't care. I do know in my mind that person's a narcissist. They're probably a covert or they might right. be a whatever it is. Right. But, you know, I know, but I, I, we just use toxic just to avoid any, you know, any, anybody thinking that we're trying to diagnose when we're not qualified to do that. Right, got it. But I, but I always equate it with domestic abuse because there's so many different kinds. 
Right. And 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 we and I think we talked about this before during the Instagram live. You don't need a label to know that these behaviors are, well, let's call it toxic part marks of a toxic relationship. Right. Whether you don't need a label. Narcissist, right. You don't what, need a diagnosis. What you need is a plan. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You need you need to come up with a plan for dealing with it. Right. And also, you know, often people will say, well, I need to know if this person is a narcissist or cluster B or borderline, whatever, you know, like what. And and so we try and say, you know, know just in like know the basics, but right. let's focus on on you and what you need. Like, let's take the energy off of figuring out all that. I mean, I myself wasted way too much time trying to make right. sense of it. Let's just focus on what you need and how we can get you there. Right. And I'll have clients come in and say, hey, but I, I want it. I want them to know that they're a narcissist. I oh, want yeah. I, and, and I'm mm -hmm. but but you're going to waste all this time and money and aggravation for an evaluation to make a diagnosis that may or may not be accurate when and doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. Right. Right. Because those because that problem behavior is what's most relevant. Right. Nobody's getting a custody because their their spouse is labeled a narcissist. And that's, and that's a myth. I think that's a big myth. People say, I'm going to get, I'm going to pay $20,000 for the psych evaluation. They're going to see that person, the narcissist, and then I'm going to get full custody. And we're just like, it's not going to happen. Right. I We've mean, never we, seen it happen. we did in my case, that was part of the $300,000 was literally $20,000 for a psychological yeah. evaluation. The guy's office was up in your neck of the woods. So you probably know him. Right. Probably. Um, right. And, and we, you know, I got to read hers. I got to read mine. And they were almost verbatim the same. Right. right. These people are master manipulators. They've been fooling people their entire lives, since adolescence at least. And they fool the evaluators. Right. They fool the judges. They fool everyone. Yep. Yeah. And it's important to keep that in mind with these evaluations. When you have a master manipulator there, and maybe the evaluator and or the court doesn't have the time to sift through those things to make an official determination or diagnosis per se, um, are you wasting money and time and effort on that evaluation? So we, we have never seen a case and, you know, God bless anyone who's had success, but we've never seen a case where a psychological evaluation has made a, a positive impact. You know, right. if anything, when they come back with a clean bill of health, the other side, you know, the narcissist, right. it's a normal evaluation and it helps their case. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, so now down to the nitty gritty, can you give our listeners three tips for dealing with a toxic relationship? And you can only do three. <laughs> three tips dealing with it. Now, is this when they know they're in it or when they're out? Um, well, <laughs> I'll leave that up to you. All right. So can we know. do three each? <laughs> no, let's do, let's yes, do. of course. Of course. We'll allow like, that. The, the, I'm, I'm, I amazing. asked the judges that the, they said they'll allow that. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Get I support. Well, wait, no, I want to, I want to start first. Okay. So, cause I haven't before I forget. Um, so I'm, I want to say don't engage as much as possible, especially when you're, when you're out, like the more you engage, I just put a post up about like, no, who's who at the zoo, like you're feeding the monster. <laughs> it doesn't matter that they're arguing with you. Like they love it. So you have to, and this is very, very hard. This is not like, Oh, okay. I'll go gray rock. No, you have right. to learn how to do it. And it's like an addiction and you have to learn to stop engaging and yep. take all the emotions. So that's my one tip. Okay. Your turn. Um, Let's see, get support, get emotional support and, and educate yourself. Also, we mentioned that earlier, but 
if you can uh, find a therapist who is trauma informed, not just any therapist, there's, it's shocking how many therapists don't know what a personality disorder is, don't know about narcissism and borderline and those things and aren't um, versed in how you recover from an abusive relationship. So get that help you need. Cause I, I remember so clearly um, in the spring of 2014, right before my marriage fell apart, I started seeing a therapist and um, I had, you know, cause things had gotten so bad. I had this sense that I'd lost my center. I was like completely consumed and everything. Like she had sucked every bit of energy out of me. And I went to see a therapist and I just, that's how I described it. I feel like I've lost my center. So get that support to get your, you know, if, if you're going to be leaving and heading into the legal system, especially a custody battle, we always um, use the analogy of it's like going to war when you're already injured. So you got to heal yourself to, to go into, because you're going into the fight of your life. Trauma informed counselor. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. I have another one. Um, I came up with four while he was talking. <laughs> I love brainstorming. We warned you, Dennis. We warned you. <laughs> That's okay. Right. So another issue that happens with people is they keep repeating the cycle. They keep finding themselves in one relationship after another. And they're like, how does this keep happening to me? One thing they have to realize is when you come out of this relationship, you're vulnerable. And you're vulnerable to somebody who is another master manipulator. Because remember, these people also like to play the hero. And it, you have to be careful who you tell your story to. So when you go on a first date with somebody, if you're even dating that soon, like you got to be really, really careful. And this is a much bigger topic, but just know you are right. very, very vulnerable to getting involved because you're you're desperate. You have and well, the same is true with your attorney. Mm, right? yes, when you hire true. an attorney... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to stop after this one. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't approach the attorney. And, and Dennis, I'm sure you've seen this. You're my savior. You're going to fix everything. I throw right. myself at your feet. No, right. your attorney works in a partnership with you. Mm -hmm. You need to have strategic oversight of your case, educate yourself, learn how to be a good client. So you don't end up with the eight pages bill, you know, uh, at the end of the month, right. with like for every little email, because you're sending everything. You need to learn what's important and, and view it as a partnership. We did, um, you want to talk about the client as a consumer? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right. there, there is a clock involved. In yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that just the one piece with that though, I think being engaged with your lawyer as a client and being an, being an active participant, um, I think it's super important for sure. Yeah, that's a whole other... Uh, absolutely. One of the things we do, we always tell our clients these, you know, it's, it's your divorce is not going to be a normal divorce. It takes a team. Yeah. Right. Right. I ended up spending $300,000, like I said, for no good reason. Um, and if I had known, that's actually how been that we talked about where our, our name came from. The whole business came from a conversation that Lisa and I had where I said to her, you know, if I knew back then what I know now, I could have easily saved half of the $300,000, half of the three years, just spinning our wheels in the legal system. Boy. At least, yeah. yeah. I mean, easily. Um, and who knows how much like emotional anguish? I mean, I was terrified of my that my role as a father was going to be diminished or destroyed. You know, all that emotional suffering. I didn't have to, and that's what we try and do. Look, it's too late for me. You know, I can't get that money back or that time back. But we can do. We can help our clients who are in the same situation who are just starting out. Absolutely. Okay. 
So I, I'll do one more tip that has like a two-parter. So make sure you connect with people that really get it, that have walked the walk or like have intense training like you do, you know, who really, really understand what they're dealing with. But the caveat is, and this shocked me, but you have to understand that toxic people are throughout this healing community preying on victims. So if you feel like something's off, even though this person is the head of a movement or this person is an esteemed expert, you need to know they are among us and they are, they are um, studying behaviors of victims to, you know, just like they're leaders of churches and cults and all kinds of things. Like yep. just trust your gut, trust your gut. In fact, we get um, inquiries like, what are your rates? I want to hire you. And Lisa and I will not. We don't publish our rates. You can't hire us until you do what's called a discovery call. It's like right. an initial consultation right. that you, you would do for a potential client. We want to know. We want to vet the person and um, make sure that yeah. you know, we're, we're, on the, we're fighting for the good guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. And it's funny because at the end of my consults, I always say, look, if you decide we're a good fit, I'm a good fit for you, or our approach is a good fit for you, give us a call back. We'd love to work with you if I feel like it's a good fit for us. And on both sides, it's supposed to be. But with clients, when I give them advice, prospective clients about how to choose a lawyer, the last and most important piece is you've got to feel comfortable with that person. Your gut most times is right. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you. It'll tell you. When you're in that office, you're sitting with that person, you'll know whether or not that's the right person for you. Nine times out of 10. And do you make mistakes? Of course, it's not all, you know, it's not one. Well, Lisa and I usually aren't in the same place when we do the discovery calls. Um, and uh, sometimes it doesn't happen very often, but I'll get my phone and I'll text her. No, you know, red flags. No, no. <laughs> right, right. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her I refuse to write this person a follow-up email. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Right. Your own we have a health. safe word, but we're yeah. not going to say it. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. And I, and I added this just recently because I think it's a really important one based on all the things I'm seeing with what I'm doing. Do you have any advice for judges and lawyers who are dealing with this community? Because I will tell you, we are woefully in need of your advice as divorce coaches, people who've been in it, Victims advocates, we need to hear from you. I don't think we hear from you enough. I think we have we do too much talking rather than listening sometimes. So mm -hmm. if you could give me a piece of advice on how I could better serve this community, what would it be? Well, I think the, the first thing is just recognize if you can recognize as early as possible when a, a divorce is going to be a high conflict divorce. Right. And and try and like you know, and adjust the strategies um accordingly. So like where my money went was in this endless cycle of negotiations and, oh, we're this close to an agreement. So we're going to draw it up. And of course you want your own attorney to be the one to draw it up. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, Always. But so my attorney was drawing it up and drawing it up and drawing it up again and back and <laughs> right. forth and back in the goalposts kept moving. Right. Yeah. Right. And cha-ching. Right. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so to recognize that and just say, Hey, this is not working. Um, let's, what finally got mine settled was we went to the brink. It was like a game of chicken. We went to the brink of trial. Right. And it right. was either, either you agree today or, you know, we're, we're scheduling the trial. Yeah. Right. And I told my attorney, I said, there's no more, no more back and forth. Right. We settle it now or that's it. 
Okay, I have I have one, especially with my years in the court system and still going back in a couple of weeks and next month. Um, I think that judges and everybody have to be very, very conscious of enforcement language that is built into any kind of order and agreement. There have to be yes. severe consequences that are followed through. Right. If it says on a piece of paper that you, if the person doesn't obey, that they could be incarcerated, they could face sanctions, but nothing ever happens. And we go on for 90 court appearances. What's happening to me is what happens to a lot of our clients. The abuser becomes emboldened by the system because they right. learn that if I can get away with it and keep wasting everyone's time and money and nothing happens, then I'm continuing the abuse, which is the opposite of what the court is Right. For. I'm going to stop paying my share of medical. Right. So of education. My, my, right. my, Nothing's going to happen. Right. So my ex-husband right. has learned that because there ha I have wonderful orders in two states, but because there's been no consequence to multiple counts of contempt, disobeying court orders, nothing yep. happens. Ha ha. Like we can just keep. And in the meantime, I'm being financially blessed until, you know, going pro se that, but, but people shouldn't be forced to go pro se. They really, judges really need to look at the patterns of, beho of behavior over time, but they really right. have to enforce. They can't, an order means nothing without teeth. And that is my biggest battle lately. It's like, what, you know, do something just like a parent right. If you don't discipline your child, the child keeps getting away with things that are going to turn into an adult monster with right. no regard for, any, for rules. So that is what the courts teach people by bending over backwards, giving them way too many chances, yep. you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of um, a lot of talk in our the sort of larger community that we operate in about family court reform, like advocacy and you know, this has got to change. Yep. It's sort of like um, kind of like the Me Too movement, but it's... Yep applying to family court and everybody's screaming at the judges. Well, you know what? The judges aren't going to change. Okay. Right. But today's lawyers are tomorrow's judges and today's law students are tomorrow's lawyers. It's going to take a generation, but it's about awareness at a very grassroots level right. and having family lawyers who understand the dynamics of these situations and recognize legal abuse when it's happening. Right. Cause then when they become judges, they'll be informed. Right. right. So, so we have partners in Barbados, I'll call them out operation safe space. And they hired us and blew us out there, which was wonderful. No. Um, and we trained, yeah, we work. <laughs> work for us. Yeah, we right. trained attorneys who were all, some were law students in what coercive control looked like, how you know what what this looks like, what to expect, how to approach them, how to support them, but to know like the reality of these are going to be those really difficult cases. And we also trained domestic violence advocates because they don't have divorce coaches over there. So the right. domestic violence advocates here don't go through the legal system with their clients. They're they hopefully will. So they'll understand not just the therapeutic things that can help a client, but the reality of family court and the support that somebody needs as they go through the process. Yeah. And I, and I like the piece orders mean nothing without teeth. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that goes for, listen, that's, that's clients, that's lawyers, that's judges. You need to enforce these things. And, and, and not just consequences, but clarity. Like I, I right. mean, we, right. One of the things Lisa and I do is we'll help a, a client review the parenting plan right. and we'll do like, we'll, we'll do like a control F to search for the word reasonable because yeah. the word reasonable doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't go in there. It's got to be right. very clearly defined right. because the devil's in the details and these toxic people will just interpret things, any gray area they'll take advantage of. 
And I think one of the most important things you can do, listeners, and I think I've said this before, is once you so so let's say you work with your lawyer, you get your negotiated order or your after a trial order done. Step back, sit down, take a look at it and talk to your lawyer about what's in it and what it means, not just before the conference, not just during the case, after all the dust settles, because nine times out of ten, You have so many emotions swirling around during the litigation of your case. You're thinking so much more clearly within the next three months, six months, year, year and a half after the case is done. And and I think it's it's important to revisit the terms of the order. So you you ensure moving forward, you clearly understand what each term means. Right. Okay. so can you give me a favorite quote that you use with your clients? One each. This you know, is one each. Favorite quote. I'm like, favorite quote. I, I mean, oh my God. I put quotes up every single day. You know, my background is an English teacher. I love quotes. I know. So do I. I love uh, quotes. So that's why I like getting them for my listeners. But, but I, we thought of a quote, but not for our clients, but in general, which I guess could be applied to our clients. But that works. Uh, so we had said um, something like a rising tide floats all boats. We feel like we all as professionals should work together to educate the community, to understand what's going on. We truly believe in collaborating with other experts and right. professionals so that we all share, like sometimes people can get really competitive, but right. Chris and I are like, we love doing interviews. We love interviewing right. people that we're doing the same thing with because the point is educating us so that we can go on with our lives. A rising tide floats all boats. But I yeah. think that's I think that's very applicable to the people that we work with for ap- absolutely certain, because without that, how would they have, you know, how would you get that more support, that vindication, that that uh, that assistance, all of that access to information without that? Vic, you know, I keep saying victims. I know you guys. Categorize that's okay. it as that's okay. Everybody says it. But but I think, again, I think without that, where would that community be? So I think that's equally as applicable. Sure. Right. So Chris, what do you, Chris, what yeah, do you got for mine, me? This is, this is another one. I don't really use it with clients, but it would absolutely apply. And it's, it's kind of corny, but at the time, uh, when I was in high school, so I'm going to date myself, I graduated from high school in 1984. And I was a very big fan of Pat Benatar, the rock okay. star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Has a, and I, I especially almost have a man crush on him. Her <laughs> guitarist and now husband <laughs> of many years is a guy right. named Neil Geraldo. And I read in an interview when I was in high school, he used the quote, adversity builds character. And I think that absolutely applies. I mean, these people who are going into a divorce or separation from a toxic partner or who are recognizing they're in a toxic relationship, it's going to be one of the worst things you ever go through. But you come out the other side and you're like, oh, I have my life. I mean, I'm I'm happier now than I've ever been. I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but Lisa and I aren't just business partners, but we've been a couple, romantic couple for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Oh, this and is the big reveal. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I like it. It's, I not, already, it's not obvious. Admittedly, I already knew that, but <laughs> yeah. you know, now my listeners know too, though. That's great. Yeah, but I mean, we could not, um, I wouldn't wish what I went through on my worst enemy. Uh, well, she went through it too. Um, <laughs> but I, I seriously wouldn't, wouldn't wish this on anyone, but when you go through it, you emerge the other side, you know, on the other side, stronger. Right. It's funny. Grateful. Grateful, Yes. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I, I 
do I I used to do a lot of updating my radio ads and I did some radio spots about this. And, and part of it was, you know, from a, it was a concept that I got from basically writing a letter to yourself after you're out of the abusive relationship to yourself when you were in it. And it was basically just, you know, so that people know, look in the mirror, realize you're worth it. You can do it. You will do it and you'll get through it and it will be better on the other side. Some in substance. Um, so I think that's super important for people to hear, though, because I think that I think many people who are in it feel hopeless. They feel like they, they, they can't even grasp what it would be like on the other side. It doesn't even enter the Absolutely. thought process. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll say a lot of times on client calls, you know, when we see they're very emotional, we'll say you're going to be OK. Yeah. And sometimes they cry when we say that. No, often. Yeah. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I'm not even in it. So, yeah, no, it's important for them to, to have hope. So speaking of hope, the hope wall, please yes. tell me about that. I think that's so awesome. Please tell me about it. Okay. So um, what, I don't remember what post I had one day, like a while ago on Instagram, but somehow the, a long time, I know the issue came up of like, how is your life visibly different after getting out of a toxic relationship? So However, the question came up, people started responding and we asked them to make short videos, like 30 seconds to a minute, explaining how their lives were visibly different. Not just, I feel better, but like, how, what do other people see? Cause I know for me, people are like, you look so much younger. Yeah. Oh my God. Like your skin is like, you look so much healthier. So we had people and we keep meaning to like build the wall more, but we haven't, you know, we've been doing other things, but we have people from all over men and women, couples talking about how their lives have visibly improved. So if they, if anyone wants to go to beentheregotout.com and click on the hope wall, you can see it. Some are just audio recordings, a lot of people talking. Yeah, there are one or two that Videos. are even just text. But, yeah. but the idea is to inspire people who might be stuck in a horrible situation that it can be better. Right. Right. That's excellent. I love that. And, and speaking of hope, you both got out and now you're together. So and and flourishing together. So speaking of hope, you know, that's that's what's possible, I think. And it's important that people see, you know, when you may feel hopeless in it, there is hope beyond getting out. And once you get out on the other side, there is also hope for for new love, new relationship. No. Yeah. yeah. When you when you least expect it. Absolutely. They don't want, they don't want, most of our clients don't want to hear about that. Yeah, but I think I, I will tell you in the divorce process, that's one of the most frequent questions I get. And I don't know, you know, what category the person is in those particular people who ask about it. But many people ask, when can I start dating again? That's one of the first questions. Mm -hmm. And then I think the next the, the corollary to that is like, how? But mm -hmm. that's that's for a that's, that's for a whole, whole other. But that's that's the fun stuff that we haven't focused on. But we we love we talk we talk about writing dating profiles and it's a lot right. of fun. <laughs> so so you see, for me, like I'm fascinated by my work and what I do and how I can help and protect and and do what I can for people in a whole host of different circumstances. And I love talking about relationships because I think there's there's a connection there, you know. Um, and maybe you're not in the right relationship now, but maybe after you get out, you, you find the right one. So, so why don't you tell our listeners 
what you're doing right now, where they can find you, where can they find the quiz? Where can they find the hope wall? If they wanted to work with you folks, you know, what would be involved? How could they do that? Give us the whole thing. We're going to do it fast because we have a client in four minutes. Okay, perfect. You got four (laughs) minutes. Perfect. Four minutes, right? That's perfect. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So our website is beentheregotout.com. On Instagram, we're at been there, got out with little underscores, like been underscore there, underscore got underscore out. And on TikTok, the same thing. Um, people email us. It's really easy. Lisa at been there, got out.com or Chris at been there, got out.com. We have a weekly legal abuse support group that is drop in. If you go to our site and click the bottom button on the homepage, it shows you details about what legal abuse is. I'm sure you'll connect to it. Anybody who sees it, because it's like, here's some examples. And then it has registration information. It's not, it's like a drop in, like I said, so you don't have to sign up for multiple sessions. So you come when you need, if you like it, if it's helpful. The meetings tend to go an hour and a half at noon on uh, Eastern time on Sundays. And then we also have coaching clients. But like we said before, we, we screen everybody to make sure it's a good fit. So if someone's interested in getting a free, dis- we call it a discovery call, they can also go to beentheregotout.com and click that top button. And that'll take them to our calendar. Okay. And then we schedule a session. And then we, you know, we have workshops on our site that we don't pay that much attention to these days because most people want to do live interaction. We have okay. content like content, free content galore on Instagram and TikTok. I start, yeah, we have mm-hmm. the blogs. We have to do more of the blogs. Um, uh, oh, and the quiz. You asked about the quiz. Yes. The quiz on the right page. on the menu at the top of the homepage. Right, and we do okay. lots of. Well, I love doing interviews, so we do lots of lives like this podcast, and we excellent. Do our- lives. I'm going to do my first TikTok live tonight about parenting plans. So we're always happy. Like we said, awesome. rising tide floats all boats, like do a series, like constant, just keep talking and getting it out there. And the hope walls on the website as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Right okay. at the bar. You awesome. can see wall of hope. Thank you so, so much, Lisa and Chris. It was, it was so awesome to have you here. I think this went really well. Uh, you got to make me promise. So before you leave, you're going to come back again. We're going to talk again. Absolutely. And then you come back to us too. Absolutely. I want to donkeys one day. <laughs> donkeys. Absolutely. They're the most lovable creatures on the planet. So wow. thanks again, Lisa and Chris. Be well. Good to talk to you. And for all of my listeners, thank you again for tuning in to Divorce Stories. We'll see you again next time. Take care. Bye-bye.